0: so who's the pagan again
1: (laughs) 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 all right walker you're never doing the introduction again no i'm kidding i'm kidding all right i guess we're rolling with that good morning wherever time of day it is all right this is this is gonna be an interesting show all right my name is isaiah Leiniger, and if you're here thank you i don't know why you're sticking with us and putting up with all our antics but thank you um, we're glad to have you here, and we're going to get serious now and talk about the authority of Scripture. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend Walker Howe, and our special guest today is Jude Bowers, and apparently Zach Barnhart may or may not show up occasionally. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that out as we go on. But it's mainly going to be Walker, Jude, and I, and we're very thankful to have Jude on the show as well. I didn't actually get to meet you until doing this, but I'm very glad uh, that we that we decided to bring you on and uh, to... Yeah, <laughs> darn AC unit. Anyway, point is, we're very glad to have you on the show. Uh, and we're very glad that you as the audience are joining us. This is episode two of season three, where we're talking about doctrinal issues. And before we really get into those doctrinal issues, like I said, we're, today we're going to be talking about the authority of scripture. Because everything else we say for the rest of the season Is based on this point. It's based on the point that the scripture has authority over our lives. And so we're going to be looking at that today. But before we jump into it, we're going to let Jude go ahead and introduce himself.
2: Uh, I'm Jude, Jude Bowers. I'm a sophomore, I almost said freshman. Uh, (laughs) It feels weird that I'm not a freshman anymore. I'm a sophomore at Freed. Um, I'm a marketing major and I make music, but, you know, first and foremost, Christian. That's really all that
0: He's matters. a really good artist.
1: Yes, yes. I, I, I'm not. But I'm <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll include his music in the episode description if you guys want to go ahead and check it out. I, I would strongly suggest listening to it after, of course, you finish this episode. <laughs> uh, so I think that's everything that we need to say in the introduction. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our topic for today, which, again, is the authority of the scriptures. And as we like to do, we're going to go ahead and define our term. So what do we mean when we say authority?
0: Yeah, so authority means that uh, the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Um, and Isaiah has a wonderful way to illustrate this using a McDonald's illustration.
1: Right. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's not just a McDonald's illustration, but it, you know, could be applied to to any empl- place of employment. But you know, I, I went with McDonald's because that's something that everybody is familiar with. So for instance, if if I'm working at McDonald's and Walker is my employer, if he's my boss, right? If Walker tells me to go and, you know, clean the grill or take the trash out. Go clean the grill. No, right? (laughs) Because we're not in that setting, I can do that. I can say no, right? But if he's truly my boss at this place of employment or whatever, a restaurant or a store or whatever the case may be, if he's my boss and he tells me to do something, If I don't do that, I'm risking my job, right? I'm risking getting fired because he has authority over me. He has the right to give orders. He has the right to make decisions. He has the right to enforce obedience because he has
2: that position of power over me. And I think one thing that's, like, kind of notable with that, too, is, like, you still have the free will to choose whether or not to obey that order, but you reserve the consequences of suffering, the consequences of your action, whether or not you obey that or not. Absolutely, that's a really,
1: really good point. Thank you for bringing that up, Jude. So, so again, you know, the point is that the employer has a power over the employee, and that's the in the the spiritual application behind that is that God is basically in that situation our employer right? Obviously, we we understand that God is greater than an employer, that this relationship is more than just a work relationship. You know, the relationship that we have with God is is more than just, oh, we worked the same shift at McDonald's. It's more than that. But I think that analogy helps us understand the implication of authority. It helps us understand that God is over us, right? We're not on the same playing field, right? Walker and I and Tim and Zach and and, uh gavin our social media manager we're all a part of a team for this podcast we produce the episodes we write the episodes we do the social media for the episodes we record the episodes all of these things we're a team we all kind of have different roles but we're all a team and there's not one person that really is the boss you know we, we jokingly call walker or we jokingly will sometimes call tim the boss but we're equals right we're we're you know, counterparts. We're, we're all equal parts of this organization to help everything run smoothly. That's not the same case with God, right? God has authority over us. We're not on the same playing field. And not only does God have authority over us, but he has given some of that authority to other things or other people, right? And so as we're going to look at today, the Bible has authority over us. If your congregation has elders and deacons those men are in authority over that particular congregation we're also told to be subject to the authority of our governing nation whether or, or states you know even if we ne- may not necessarily like our governor or our president we're still under authority or under his authority or her authority unless they are trying to get us to do something that is against what god has said
0: we did an episode over government
1: that's that's true we have a, a couple episodes out over the idea of government, uh, one with Jesse Eaton, should Christians respect the government, and then one with Dr. Blackwater about certain political issues. Both of those are very, very good episodes, so uh, quick plug to go listen to those after you listen to this and Jude's music. Uh, <laughs> going to have a full day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to leave your, your uh, Spotify app. Anyway, but the point is God is greater than us. God has authority over us. And so he has given some of that authority, and we see that authority shine in his word. And so we're going to talk about, you know, the inspiration of scripture. We talked about that earlier. We talked about how it is God's word that, what we, that we can trust that what we see in the Bible. And so what we see in the Bible is that God has authority over over us, and we, we can prove this, we can show that God really has authority, and uh, Jude, something that you mentioned in the podcast meeting is a verse in Isaiah, if you wanted to go ahead and uh, talk about that, if you will.
2: Uh, yeah, so, let me turn that real quick, um, basically, um, this was brought up in a Bible class that I was in with Matt Cook, um, plug from Matt Cook, go take a class if you're afraid, Um <laughs> But Isaiah 10, 15 says, Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it, or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it, as if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. So basically, it's talking about how the tool does not have the right to kind of claim this authority or boast over The person wielding the tool right the tool obviously is lesser than the wielder of the tool and so it should submit to the authority of the tool or the of the person wielding the tool
1: you know in in context isaiah is really prophesying against the nation of assyria here uh and in verse 13 i think really helps us understand that for he the the nation of assyria personalized here he says by the strength of my hand i have done it And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of people and plunder their treasures like a bull. I bring down those who sit on thrones. So we've got uh, he says, my hand, my wisdom, I have understanding. I remove the boundaries of people. I bring those down. So we've got, just in in verse 13 alone, we've got six references to the individual or to the nation of Assyria, right? And, And so... And it continues in verse fourteen with a couple more illustrations. Uh, my hand is like a uh, my hand is found like a nest. Of the wealth of peoples I have gathered all the earth. And then we find verse fifteen, and Isaiah saying, "Shall the axe boast over the one who hews with it? The one who's using it, right?" And so the idea that Isaiah is is using and the illustration that Isaiah is using is that. The nation of Assyria has become very powerful. They've become very militarily uh, strong. They've become very wealthy. And they think that it's because of them, right? They think that it's their power, their wisdom, their understanding, their might that this has led to this. They've lost the idea of humility. And that's a big thing with our relationship with God. Because again, God has authority over us. So we should recognize that and we should have humility because of that. And, and you know, when we think of humility, it's, it's not just, oh, you know, you can, you can have that and, and, or like you can go in front of me in line and I'll go after you. It's more than that, right? There's more depth to it. Humility is when you neglect almost your needs and you put someone else's needs or you put something else in front of yourself, Right? And you, and you say, yes, I'm important, but I'm going to put my importance aside for the moment and focus on you or, or, or obey you, right? And that's the relationship that we need to have with God is one of humility, right? God is over us. We are his servants. He is our master, and we should reflect that in our daily life. I think
0: it's important to point out the biblical definition of humility because, I mean, the Bible really defines humility, I think, in Philippians 2. And if you look at Philippians 2, and uh, just for uh, to, to make things make sense, and begin at verse 3, uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So, as Isaiah was saying, you know, humility is looking out for the interests of others. You often you may have heard the phrase, uh, joy or the acronym joy Jesus others and then yourself. And so that's how that's how our lives should look. And oftentimes um, it doesn't look like that. Oftentimes it's ourselves. Then. Others maybe, and then Jesus, or maybe ourselves, Jesus and others. It, it's it's another combination other than the way that it should be. But whenever you put Jesus, others, and then yourself, then you can experience the joy that's being talked about in this passage. And um, and so, just wanted to point that out as I continue
1: on. That's a that's a great reference. Well, thank you, Walker, for that. You know, again, humility. Right. That's that's one of the most important things in the Christian's walk. Uh, we don't have this written down, and I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head, but there's a verse that says, those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So what that verse is saying is that those who are prideful, those who are arrogant, those who take pride in themselves and say, this is my handiwork, I'm the one who's responsible for all of this, they're going to be humbled. Matthew 23, 12. Thank you. So Jesus is, is saying in that verse that, you know, when you are not humble, when you're exalting yourself and you're prideful of your works and you kind of take God out of the equation, of course, God is the giver of all good and perfect things. We see that in James chapter 1 and verse 17. When we take God away from all of these things and we exalt ourselves, Jesus says you're going to be humbled. You're going to be put to shame almost. But when we humble ourselves, when we say, God, this is your handiwork, God, this is your uh, strength, This God, this is your wisdom, We're going to be exalted because when we humble ourselves in front of God, not only are we recognizing you have authority over me, but we're saying I'm going to serve you because of that authority. Right. And that's the response that we need to have to the scripture. The scripture is God's word. Right. Again, we talked about in the last episode and I strongly encourage you to go listen to that one as well. The idea that God's word is divinely inspired. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, The whole scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is saying there, everything that is in the Bible is divinely inspired. And everything that is in the Bible is from God. And we can, you know, and we can trust that what we have today in our modern Bibles is what was originally written, what was originally given to those men who wrote the scriptures. Because we have a lot of, maybe not the original documents, but copies of the original document that are very, very accurate to what we have in our modern Bibles. And and more than that, we have early church letters that quote, I believe it's about 97% of the New Testament in those early church letters. They're quoting the writings of Paul, the writings of John, the writings of Peter, in these letters between Christians and between congregations. So we we can know that what we have in the Bible is truly from God. And because of the authority of scripture, we should humble ourselves and Serve God and do the things that he has commanded for us to do in the scriptures. And again, that's really the building block, the the foundation, if you will, of everything else that we're going to cover in this season. Why do we do what we do? Because the Bible says
2: so. I think the whole idea of the authority of scripture is founded on the fact that scripture is inspired. Uh, Because if scripture is not inspired, then we have no reason to believe it. Um, because just like any other, you know, man-made book, um, if it was just man-made, there's some parts that might be really good and some parts you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not too sure about that. And at that, at that point, it becomes an opinion. But when it's from God, who is the supreme higher power, none of it is opinion. It's all objective, not subjective, objective truth, right? In First John, I think it talks about in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Right, it's not that this is just like some words that were like, "Oh, I'm sure this is what what Jesus might have said or what God thinks is right." It's like, no, this is the Holy Spirit directly speaking to us. Right, and so if you believe that every word on these uh, in these pages is true, then you have to believe that it gains some authority over you. Right, most definitely. And uh,
0: we have Revelation twenty two eighteen in here. Um, but I feel like it may be best to put this a little bit further down, um, and because we're going to get into a few minutes about God's way versus man's way, and I think whenever we talk about uh, adding and taking away stuff, I think that'll be good. Um, and so we'll 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 come back to that in a minute. Isaiah, if you want to tackle the Job thirty eight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so another another reference that we have in the scriptures to kind of point us in the direction of God is superior. Right. We uh, Jude did an excellent job of breaking down the Isaiah passage where, it, you know, is the tool better than the one who uses it? No, of course not. And uh, we we have kind of a similar analogy in the book of Job. Uh, so if you remember the, the story of Job, Job is a, is a wealthy man. He's a rich man. God has, has blessed him. And basically Satan and God have a business meeting. <clears throat> And, you know, and Satan... That's one way to put yeah, it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the Isaiah line is your standard version. Uh, basically, Satan and God get together at some point. Sa- Sa- Satan is called before God and, and Satan says, you know, what about that old fellow Job? You know, he, he's pretty faithful to you, but I reckon that if, you know, you take away all the stuff that you've given him, he's going to stop serving you. If you take away his family, his wealth, his possessions, his home... He's going to stop serving you. And so God says, put him to the test. Let him him prove that he's faithful. And so Satan goes and a series of very, very tragic and unfortunate events happen in Job's life. Most of his family dies in in an accident. Uh, His his livestock are killed. At one point, his health is even gone. He's suffering from painful and, and scratchy boils all over his body. So Job is just—he's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's in, he's in an awful place, right? Mentally, physically, spiritually, Job is hurting. And what makes it even worse is that some of the closest people in Job's life, some of his most valued people in his life, started basically attacking him. His wife tells him to curse God and die, and his four best friends basically come to him and say, all right, Job, you've got two options here. Either one, God is punishing you just for the fun of it, and that makes him an unjust God, an unrighteous God, or you did something to deserve this. Because that was the way Jews looked at punishment, and that was the way Jews looked at, you know, sickness and, and disease and death and those kinds of things in the Old Testament, uh, is that it was a direct punishment from God. And we see this idea carried over to the New Testament, right? Right? When we see Jesus heal a lame man, we see his apostles ask, you know, was it, was it he who sinned or was it his parents who sinned that made this man lame? And Jesus says, what? Neither. It wasn't either that. It was so that we could show that I am from God. Uh, but that, you know, that, that, that's the way that some people will look at it. You know, they would say, oh, you're sick. You must have sinned. Oh, uh, your your house fell down, you must have sinned. This must be a direct punishment from God. And of course, we, we can understand that's not how God works in the, in, in the New Testament. And that wasn't really how he worked in the Old Testament, except for a few specific occasions. But the point is, Job's friends come to him and say, either God is unjust and he's doing this just for the fun of it, or you did something to deserve this. And Job says, neither one of those are true. And so he and his friends go back and forth discussing, you know, this and and finally his friends leave him alone and job this whole time he's been adamant that god is faithful that god is true but but now that he's alone he starts to question he starts to wonder why god do i have to go through all this that's a fair question from our point of view but only from our point of view right because job didn't know about that quote-unquote business meeting between god and satan job didn't have the full perspective and what, what's really interesting in, in chapter 38, and this really carries on for about the rest of the book, but it starts in chapter 38 when God answers Job. And, and it's really interesting when we look at this that God doesn't really answer Job. He, Job never is told why does this happen, right? Job is never told about the, the quote-unquote business meeting, which is how I'm only going to refer to that from now on because I think it's funny. But anyway... Chapter 38 of Job. I've taught, done a lot of talking. now, I'm going to let the scripture talk. Uh, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And God goes on and on and on with that line of questioning. And what he's doing is he's saying, you know, Job, where were you when I made the world? Job, were you around when I raised the land out of the waters?
0: Now it's going from business meeting to interrogation. Yeah, basically. Yeah.
1: Job is on the witness trial right now and the prosecutor's going hard at me. But But the point is that God never reveals to Job why it happened. We have the benefit of hindsight and being able to see why this thing happened, Job's never revealed. Instead God says, you know, Job, where were you when I created the world? Job, where were you when, you know, I made the behemoth? Job, could could you make the, some of the creatures that I made? No? You don't have the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that I do? Huh. Maybe you should worship <laughs> me and, and and serve me. Right? And that's not God coming at it from a place of ego. Right? He's not saying, I'm not going to tell you because I feel like it. Your only choice is to serve me. God is reminding Job that he doesn't need to know. God is reminding Job that I am God. I have wisdom. I have knowledge. I have understanding. I have power. And you don't. So put your faith in me, Job. I'll see you through it.
2: Mm-hmm. One, one thing I think is interesting, uh, kind of the beginning of this story, Job, um, you're talking about how Satan and God had business meeting. <laughs> Satan wasn't the one that asked for Job. God offered Job to Satan, which I think is so interesting because God was like, Yeah, take him. Like, yeah, he he's not going to falter. And even though Job questioned God, he never, like, Satan, one of the things Satan asked was, uh, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? So basically, Satan's saying, Oh, Job only worships you because he's got this great life. And God's like, no. Job worships me because he realizes that I have authority over him. That's a great
1: point. That's a really great point. And, you know, like, like you said, Satan, he was he was really saying, of course Job worships you. Have you seen all the stuff you've given him? Right? And But the idea is that, like you were saying, Job, yes, he was thankful to God for all of those things. And we can see that. And, in, 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 you know, uh, in, in this passage, but more than that, he remembered who God is. And he remembered that God's way is a whole lot better than man's way. And that leads us right into our, our next point, right? Again, we are not equals with God. We don't have the wisdom that God has. We don't have the power that God has. We don't have the authority that God has over us. If we had God's wisdom and God's power and, and all these other qualities of God, we wouldn't need God. We would be God. We, we need God because we lack those things. God is infinite in his knowledge, in his understanding, in his eternity. We are not. We are finite creatures. We as humans had a beginning. God is outside of that kind of laws of, of physics, Right? We, we understand that everything needs a beginning in this world. God is not of this world. God is outside of the laws of time and, and of nature because he created them, right? And he has authority over those things and he has authority over us because we don't have that power. We don't have his wisdom. We don't have his knowledge and we don't have his perfection. We don't have his purity. If we had that, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we need Jesus. We absolutely need Jesus. And we need, and we needed him to go to the cross and die for our sins because that's not something that we could take away on our own merit. Because the and I'm kind of getting a little off topic here, but the idea is that when we sin, we're breaking God's law. We're rejecting God's authority. Mm-hmm. And so when we sin, we can't forgive ourselves, right? We can't take away our own sin. That's only up to the person that we broke the law of, right? You know, Walker and I, we're we're equals. We mentioned this already. You know, if if Walker says, we're going to have a production meeting on Thursday at 8 p.m. If I don't show up to that, first of all, I'm hurting the team, right? But second of all, Walker doesn't really have the authority over me to say, where were you? You should have been here. You know, he can say, you know, we, we missed you, we, we, we would have valued you at this meeting, but he, he can't say, you know, you're fired because you didn't come up to this meeting. Why? Because we're equals.
0: And plus you're in love my salary. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs>
1: I can't I'm doing I'm do this volunteer job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. fire me, ha, you know, have fun <laughs> with that. Uh, yeah, I better get my
2: severance pay. <laughs> yeah, for real, for
1: real. You owe me a lot of money if, I, if I, this is a salary job. But anyway, the point is. I'm forever in debt to you. Okay? <laughs> Lunch tonight will make up for it. The point is, God has authority over us. Because his way is so much better than his way. That's why we're called in Romans chapter 12 to be transformed.
0: His way is so much better than man's way. You said his way is so much better than his way.
1: Did I? I oh, well, yeah. thank you for catching that. <laughs> his, his way is so much better than our way. Thank you for catching that. I didn't even realize I did that. But the point is... In Romans 12, 12, we're called to be transformed, to be like God. You know, right when we're baptized, we're supposed to have this new life. We're supposed to give up our desires and live for Christ. Romans Romans chapter 12, it's it's a beautiful passage where we're told that we should not be conformed to the, the norms of this fallen world, but be transformed by God, Right? by his word and by renewing our mind so that we can discern what the will of God is and so that we can be acceptable to him and so that we may become perfect as he is perfect. And I'm, of course, paraphrasing, but the idea is that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. He says that in the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 12, that we are supposed to be a sacrifice to God, One of my favorite passages is Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Or Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but who but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we are a Christian, we are under God's authority. Everyone's under God's authority. Don't get me wrong there. But Christians are the ones who understand what God's authority is and choose to respect that. Choose to follow God's authority.
2: Um, one one thing I always hear well, not always, but um, especially in high school like I had a lot of friends who were atheists and one thing that one, one of my friends brought up one time was like why does God get to operate outside of the bounds of, you know, physics and time and nature and stuff like that? And it was a really good point, point I don't know how to answer at the time. And then I heard something a few weeks ago, and it was, like, it was, like, really cool. It's because we're looking at it from our perspective, right? Walker, let's imagine you're a fish, okay? <laughs> oh, boy. All right.
1: I like this analogy so far.
2: Pretty easy <laughs> Walker, to do. Walker, <laughs> imagine... <laughs> I didn't come up with this. It was, so I can't take any credit, but Walker, let's not even fish, right? Okay. You're in a fishbowl and you so have so. some consciousness for some reason, right? You're a, conscience, or a conscious or conscious conscience. You have a conscience, okay. right? Or you have some semblance of a thought. You see me, a human walking outside of your fishbowl and you're like, why doesn't you have gills, Right? Why can you breathe out like outside of the water? hmm. Mm-hmm. It's because you can only see from the perspective of the fishbowl. Mm. So we can only see from the perspective of our humanity. Mm. But God doesn't operate in within the realms of our humanity. God operates on a whole different playing field. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to see that because we're the fish. Mm. We are the fish. And we can only see, we're like, well, why can't God, uh, why can he operate outside of time? Because he's not even inside of time. Mm-hmm right as a being right as a human i'm not i'm outside the bounds of the fishbowl god is outside the bounds of natural like he is supernatural and it's just hard for us to see that cuz we only know what we know and to take that a step further you know like he's
0: also outside of space and matter and so if you keep that fishbowl analogy you know the fishbowl itself is the space that we're living in and then matter is the water or the things that take up the fishbowl and so God's outside of all that, and so he controls all that. So, you know, it not only is not only um, does he control time, but he also controls space and matter as well.
2: Yeah, like, God, and that's one thing, is control, mm-hmm. right? Not only is he outside of it, he has control over it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when if I go to pick up the fishbowl, the fish thinks, you know, his whole world, there's an earthquake or something. And I'm just like, no, I'm just picking up a fishbowl, right? Whenever something major happens in our lives we think oh it's this grand thing that and God's like no I'm just I'm just moving the pond I'm just moving this chess piece I have control and that's why we have he has authority over us because he has so much more power than us and and to add on to that not only does he have so much power than us but he has so
1: much more understanding Absolutely. right like like you were saying we can only see things from our point of view from our human perspective and so as I go about my day, I can only see from my eyes, Mm -hmm. right? And I can't see through the eyes of Jesus. (laughs) Quick plug. (laughs) But the point is that, you know, there's going to be things that happen, maybe even, you know, in my classes or in my dorm that I have no idea about, right? God knows about it. He sees it. He was there before the world began, and he's going to continue to be there long after the world's destroyed. God is everlasting. He's from beginning to end. And so he has so much more perspective, so much more understanding than us. And it just makes sense for us to be humble to him because he understands things and he knows things that we can never understand and that we can never know.
2: And I I think that's where a big part of faith comes in is that we don't know why he's allowed to operate outside of the bounds of nature. But we know that he can, and so we have faith in him who has more understanding. Like, we only know as much as we know. And so outside of that, we have to put faith in God because even though we don't know why he has those limits or lack thereof, mm-hmm. we understand that he does, and we put trust and faith in him because of that.
0: You know, I, oh, go, go ahead, Walker. I was about to say, uh, I know uh, Jude gave a... A pretty analogy of a fishbowl, but I see you
1: have a revolutionary war. Well, uh, so be- but before we get into that, what I what I really want to do is is look at that word that Jude used, and that's faith. Oh, okay. right. And so the idea of, of faith, you know, some people, and I, again, I don't I don't want to you know bash anybody, but they don't really understand what faith is, right? When we when we use words like faith or hope or belief in today's culture, they're kind of watered down from what the scriptures use it as. Right? And so when the scriptures say that we have hope of heaven, that's not me going like, oh, I hope that, you know, there's not a long line at lunch today. Right? Because that's outside of my control. You know, I can't control who else is in line at lunch. I have no power over that. And it's just a little, you know, wish. It would be nice if there's not a long line at lunch today. But the idea is that when we have faith in God, when we hope in God, that's not just a little wish. That's not just a little, oh, it would be nice. We can have confidence in those things, right? We can have confidence in those things because we know of the power of God. And that's why we choose to have faith in him. That's why we choose to have a relationship with him. And you and, know, and some people I've heard, I don't remember the, the direct term, but some people kind of believe that what God has done is that he's created the world and then he kind of wound it up like a, like, a, like a clock and then he stepped away and he's not paying attention anymore. They say, yeah, God created the universe, but he's not really involved anymore. You know, he, he's, he, he made it and now he doesn't care about it. He's working on something else or whatever. And the idea is, with that is, and this is where the revolutionary war story comes in, is that, you know, the people kind of picture God as this kind of far off king. Right? And in the Revolutionary War, that was one of the biggest problems that the colonists had, is that they were being ruled by this king who was thousands of miles away across an entire ocean. He had no idea what was going on in the colonies. He couldn't tell. And in that day and age, in the 1700s, in order to communicate with the king of England, they would have to write a letter, put it on a boat, have that sail, hopefully, to England, if it didn't crash or get lost, and then have that letter be delivered to the king, have him read it, decide what to do about whatever it is the letter was written about, have him write a letter, and then put it on another boat and send it back to the colonies. It's just this, it was this long and complicated and drawn-out process, and it would take months just to get any sort of communication from the colonies or from England. And so when the king started taxing the colonies in order to help pay for war efforts with other countries, of England at that time was a global superpower and had colonies all over the world, when they started taxing what became the United States, the colonists didn't like that very much. You know, that still applies to me. We don't like taxes very much. It's a necessary evil, but we don't like taxes very much. And so they were complaining to the king of England about these unfair taxes, but because he was this faraway king, Their relationship was strained because they could not communicate with them what was happening in the States. And so what we see is that some people kind of view God as that far off king. They they kind of view God as King George. And they say, God is is so far away. He's so distant that he doesn't care. He doesn't, he's not involved anymore. My answer to that is, well, if you feel like God is distant, then maybe you're the one who's moved. Right? If you feel like God is not involved with your life, maybe that's because you shut him out. And obviously, I'm not trying to condemn anyone or, or judge anyone's heart because that's not my place. That's God's place. He has a, the authority and the wisdom to do that. I do not. But the point is, if you feel like God has abandoned you, then maybe in reality, the t- truth of the matter is that you've kind of abandoned him.
2: It's almost like I got... Could- points, I guess, because I was thinking about this earlier, but literally what you just brought up made even more sense. Um, Right? If you have one object that is immovable, unchangeable, right? Let's just say, um, for the sake of the argument, it's the sun. I know the universe is always moving and everything. But let's just say, from our perspective, right, the sun stays where it is, okay? The planets revolve around it. When a comet comes around and shoots to the sun and then shoots back off, right? The comet's like, oh, why are me and the sun so far apart? It's not because the sun moved. It's because the comet shot off into space. And I think that's why, part of the reason Jesus is so important is because now you can't even make the argument that God is so far off because one of the main purposes of Jesus, right, obviously it was to come and forgive us of our sins and die on the cross so that way we could be forgiven, One of the other major reasons is to bridge the gap. Because you can't say that God is distant when he, that's, that's, okay, that is one of the main arguments for Christianity is that in every other religion, it's the lower power down here, right, humans, and this other power, some other God, and the life is constantly you trying to come up here. I'm, I'm using my hands for, you know, it's an auditory uh, podcast, I realize that. But it's, it's the humans are trying to make their way up to the, the God. People may not want to see the video version of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope not. Um, but in Christianity, God came down here. He made himself available to us when we didn't deserve it. And that's what's so powerful, is that you can't say that God is so far off and doesn't care about us, when he literally became one of us. It goes back to the Philippians passage, Philippians mm-hmm. 2. Right, he, he, he humbled he, himself. Right, he humbled himself and became a servant. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, Excellent point, Jude. Thank you so much. And so, you know, the, the idea is that God desires to have a relationship with us. Like Jude mentioned, he went as far as to send his son, send a part of him down to the earth, to be sacrificed in the most brutal way humanity has ever come up with. I'm not going to go into detail, but if you research what happens during a crucifixion, it's heartbreaking. It's, yeah. it's, it's devastating. When you think about the fact that anyone had to go through that. Much less the perfect and pure Son of God who was innocent in anything that he could say against him. But he went to the cross for me. He endured that for me. God's way is so much better than our way. God has a plan. right? If it was up to us, if it was left to our own devices, there is no way that we could come up with a plan to forgive our sins. And God knew that.
2: So he came up with a plan for us. That's so crazy to think about. And this is going to sound really stupid because it's like obvious, but also sometimes not obvious at the same time. It's so crazy how just like smart God is. <laughs> and You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like, like you said, we could have never come with that plan. That was God's plan from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he just like, he was like, oh, okay, we have this problem, right? Humans have sinned against me, but I still love him. And as a all just, but also an all loving God... How do I, not compromise, but fulfill both of those requirements for me as a God, an unchanging God? I will become one of them. Send myself down. Live their life perfectly to show them an example. Fulfill every Old Testament prophecy that was ever made. And then eventually die so that way their sins would be forgiven. And they can still live with me. In oneness with me, and I bear I, I as God bear those sins or bear the consequences of those sins for them. That's genius, like.
1: And it, and it only works because of God, because yeah. of as you mentioned, He's all just, so He is going to punish those who transgress against His law, but He's also all loving, and He wants there to be. He wants us to be in heaven with him for eternity. He wants me. For some reason, God looks at me and looks at my sinful life and says, "I still want him to be with me in heaven."
0: It's almost like we're living in a fairy tale, or like, yeah. or like, we're we're a part of a, a never-ending Hallmark movie. You
1: yeah, because <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make sense, right? And our human perspective, like we were talking about earlier, this doesn't make sense. Why would God do that? Why would he send his son down to the cross? Because he desires a relationship with us. Because he loves us. Because he wants to be in heaven with us for eternity. And you know, it's it's that relationship that we're supposed to grow as a Christian. We're supposed to draw near to him through his word, through worshiping to him, through prayer. We're supposed to draw near to him. And you know, it's it's not easy. Right? God in fact promised us several times in the scriptures but this walk is not going to be an easy one. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that you will have tribulation in this world. But he doesn't end it there, does he? In that verse in John chapter 16 and verse 33, he says, You will have tribulation in this world, but be at peace, for I have overcome the world. We can have peace, even though everything in this life is going to be difficult. We can have peace because we can recognize that his way is so much better for us in the long term. There, there's two verses in the book of Jeremiah that I think really, really bring this out. Uh, and technically, both of these are going to be a little out of context. So I encourage you to go back and really understand the context to both of these, uh, uh, to both of these verses. But the, the point I also is also don't do what Isaiah is doing.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna try and give a little bit of context uh, and to help us understand these verses. But I'm not going to give the full amount of context. So I I encourage you to go back and and read these passages in their context. So the first one is Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Where we see the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So that's humans. We're ununderstandable. We're desperately sick. We're wicked. We're evil. We're deceitful. That's the human heart. That's our way. Look now at Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. And this is a verse that a lot of people love, even though, again, it is usually taken out of context. So Jeremiah here, he's speaking through God, or excuse me, God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he's speaking to the people who have been exiled to Babylon. And he says to them, "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord, "'plans for welfare and not for evil.'" to give you a future and a hope. Again, he's specifically talking to the exiled Israelites there. But I think that same passage can apply to us, especially when we consider verses like Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, where Paul, in that great letter, tells us that we know what? Beautiful passage. Absolutely. He, He says that we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So he's saying there in, in context that this life's going to suck, right? There's going to be times in this life where it's just miserable. And that's partly just because of the world that we live in. And it's even more so because we're Christians, because we're going against the world. We're countercultural. But God has promised us a home in heaven. He's promised us something that is far superior to the, the tribulations and the sufferings that we're going to endure here on earth
0: you mentioned uh, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 whenever you read that verse talking about being sick it reminded me of Matthew 9 and verse uh, 12 of them, if I remember off the top of my head correctly uh, and it talks about how it, it's not those who are well who are in need of a doctor it's those who are sick and so you know going off on another little tangent here Jesus is the great physician and I'll keep my tangent short but Jesus is the great physician and ultimately, um, it's him who can provide the care and things that we need, but we have to first recognize that his way is better for us and that we need to put our trust and our faith in him and the one who is perfect. And that only comes by understanding who has authority over our lives and understanding who is uh, the one we
1: should follow. Because yep. we've got two options in this life. Yeah. And, and we see those two options outlined for us in the book of Jeremiah with, with those two verses. We have the option of, A, I can put my trust in myself and a finite, weak, human creature who has limited understanding, limited power, limited knowledge, or I can put my faith in God, who not only has unlimited knowledge and power and understanding, but unlimited love, and and someone, and a God who has paved the way for me, do not only live a life full of joy here on earth but to live a life full of joy with God
2: and I think that's exactly the only reason we can even have joy Um, because like uh, how Jesus and Paul both tell us that there's going to be trials and tribulations on this earth and you're not always going to be happy Mm -hmm. but you can always have joy Mm -hmm. because if you put your faith right, if you, for instance, atheists don't believe there's any higher power. If you put your faith in things that are on the same playing field, right? Let's go back to this fishbowl analogy. If we if we live our life with no purpose that's any higher than our own selfish desires and what we feel as human beings is best for us, you're living a horizontal life. But once you start li- living a vertical life, you, you're, you're, you're putting your faith in something that's Outside of your control and has is way better than anything that you can come up with. And that's where you can find true joy because you realize that I'm limited. I'm gonna put my faith in something that's unlimited. Excellent, excellent point,
1: Jude. And uh that, that about wraps up this episode. Uh, long story short, God is, has authority over us, and we see that in the scripture we need to trust in his word and, and believe on what he said and put those things into practice. Uh, we know that, you know, some of the things that we, we've mentioned, we've, we've tried to go in depth. So if we've kind of lost you at any point, if you have any questions, you know we would we, love to, to talk to you about whatever it is that you have a question about. If it's this episode or another episode or just a complete uh, random question about the scriptures, or if you just want to talk to us, we would love to, to sit down and talk with you. Uh, there are many, many ways that you can get into contact with us. We can, uh, reach, you can reach out to us through Facebook. Uh, we have a f- Facebook page. We have an Instagram page, uh, TTEOJ underscore podcast. We have a website, TTEOJ.com. We have a phone number.
0: 731-439-9671. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's, why I keep, yeah, that's, that's why I keep you around walkers.
1: Uh, so if you have any questions or if you just want to sit down and talk, we would love to sit down and discuss the scriptures or anything at all with you.
0: May I also add, if you text the phone number, please don't just send hello. Please <laughs> send a message longer than hello, like, uh, hello, uh, I have a question about blah, 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 blah. We, we need more context to your text message. Thank you. I'll continue on.
1: Uh, that's about all, all that we have. Uh, we're so thankful for for you as the audience, for listening with us and, and going through the scriptures with us. And we're very, very thankful for Jude, for his willingness to to come out and to help us with this uh, with this episode. And again, please go check him out on Spotify. Uh, we'll, we'll have that link in the description. Uh, very, very talented musician. Uh, so we're very, very thankful for you and to have you as a brother in Christ. And if there's nothing else further, uh, let's go ahead and close the episode out in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord of all there is and Creator of all there is. Lord, you are our God. You are strong. You are wise. You are powerful. And you are not limited by human capabilities as we are. Help us, Lord, to remember that. Help us, Lord, to remember that you are in control, that you have a plan. Help us, Lord, to trust in you and to remember that while there are tribulations on this earth, that they happen for a reason and that they will be forgotten when we are with you in heaven for eternity. Thank you so much, Lord, for the love that you have for us and for the love that we have for each other. Help us, Lord, to grow closer to you every day and to strive to be more like you and to teach others about you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.